0: You have greatness within you. You have the ability to do more than you can ever begin to imagine. See I believe that anybody through observation and practice can perform at the level of excellence. But when you're pursuing your greatness, this is worth writing down, you don't know what your limits are and you act like you don't have any. So I say to you, you have something special. You have greatness within you.
1: And welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you, my friend, to take your passion, make it happen, and let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and we are moving on to episode 101, as we celebrated last time, episode 100. And as we get into the show, there's a couple things I wanna get into, but the main one has to do with the fact that It seems every time the Atlanta Braves make the World Series, and there's other times, but it really becomes a focus when the Atlanta Braves make the World Series, that the tomahawk chop is racist. And I've heard this dating back to the 1990s. So in 1991, the Atlanta Braves played my Minnesota Twins in the World Series. And, of course, the Twins came out victorious, four games to three. But back then, so 1991, that's what we're talking about, okay? 30 years ago, the Braves are in the World Series, and the Tomahawk Chop becomes a center point of the World Series. And so I want to start off with this clip from 1991 when the Braves and the Twins met in the World Series. It was a part of the, I believe it was CBS at the time, Pat O'Brien, was the sports commentator. Also in this clip is Faye Vincent, the uh, Major League Baseball commissioner at the time. Bill Means, who was the national director of the American Indian Movement at the time, and then a uh, Braves executive. And I think the clip tells you who the uh, Braves executive is. So let me start by playing the clip, and then we'll get into what I want to talk about regarding the Tomahawk Chop, the Atlanta Braves, and this idea that is this... A racist thing.
2: On a uh, serious note, the World
1: Series has drawn a crowd outside the Metrodome. This is a coalition organized by the Twin
2: Cities-based American Indian Movement and includes a number of civil rights activists who have come to demonstrate against what they call a stereotypic and warlike depiction
1: of Native Americans, especially when it comes to fans. They say who don war paint and Indian
2: headdress and perform the now famous tomahawk chop.
0: If the black athletes, these great men who we know are the best of the best come into our town here, if they were to see cartoons of Sambo or Amos and Andy between innings being shown on the big screen, they would be outraged. I think any time there's a significant group of Americans
1: who are concerned about something in baseball, we have to respond and we will.
2: Owner Ted Turner declined to comment, but club president Stan Caston had this to say all earlier. All of us in the organization, on the field and off the field, have worked all our adult lives to get here. And we're going to focus only on that for the rest of the series. And then when the series is over, we can sit down and uh, address any issue with whatever seriousness it deserves. But as a human being, do you understand their, their point, anyway? Uh, like all other questions on the subject, we're going to hold off any discussion until after the series is over. Right now, we're just going to concentrate on baseball for the rest of the week.
0: The best way to take care of the chop is four straight for the Minnesota Twins. So we're not above cheering our own team on, but we do it in a respectful manner.
1: Well, it took seven games for the Twins to win, but again, that's 1991. So now fast forward to the year 2021 when the Braves and the Astros are in the uh, World Series and the Braves leading at the as of this broadcast for uh, three games to two and could win it with another victory and oust the Astros and become World Series champions for the first time since I believe it was 1995. Now, the last time the Braves were in the World Series was 1999, and it's interesting because I believe it's 8 out of 10 years during the 90s that the Braves were in the World Series. So, again, this clip that you just heard was from 1991, and so you had kind of a decade of the Braves being a prominent sports figure, sports team, on the uh, national news front, making it uh, to the World Series and having success in Major League Baseball. So every year we hear about the Tomahawk Chop, and there's other places that that we uh, hear it from and see it, not just the uh, Atlanta Braves. There's also the Kansas City Chiefs, and there's the, uh, the teams like the uh, Indians and the uh, Redskins, the Washington Redskins, who have now moved away from all that, and the Cleveland Indians are now... The Cleveland Guardians, Major League Baseball team, and the Washington Redskins remain nameless. They're just the Washington football team, and I'm starting to get used to that. So maybe they should just stick with the Washington football team and have their football or a football be their emblem, their mascot. Why not, right? It's football. But anyways, so I've often wondered, you know, why, and and I get it, because initially what you think, if you don't know what the tomahawk chop is, Okay. If you watch the video, I'm doing it on the video, but basically it's taking your hand and your arm and moving it in like a hammer type motion. But instead of bringing the hammer down, you have your palm open facing inward and you do the tomahawk chop. Okay. So I'm sure you've all seen it, but basically it's like a hammering motion, a chopping motion with your hand open. Okay. And so that's the tomahawk chop. Now, not to be confused. with the war chant, okay? The war chant is something completely different. And in fact, this is actually what the war chant is that you often see or hear, I guess. You hear the war chant and you see the tomahawk chop and they go hand in hand at ball games across the country like the Chiefs and the Braves and so forth. And so this is the actual war chant, which is different than the tomahawk chop, but it just goes hand in hand. When you see and you hear it, it becomes kind of one thing. Okay, so you've got the war chant, and you've got the tomahawk chop, and a lot of people call it racist, call it uh, any number of things. And it has to do with the fact that it's depicting, whether you want to call them Indians, Native Americans, indigenous people, I'm not sure what the woke culture word of the day is, but about the Indians, the Native Americans that were here. And it talks about, basically it's a reference, people say, to kind of scalping, you know, the scalping... um, that the Indians did. And so it's a negative warlike action. So people are outraged by it. Okay. So I thought for a minute, what's the origin of the tomahawk chop? How did this all come about? Was it really somebody sitting there and thinking, how can we be racist towards a group of people? How can we offend a group of people? Oh, let's do this while we're at the ball game. Or was there something else involved with it? And so I decided to do some research. And I moved beyond the headlines, and I delved into the history of what I could find as the tomahawk chop, the origins, the genesis of the tomahawk chop. So here's what I found, okay? So Florida State University, the Seminoles, Division I school down in Tallahassee, Florida, had success during the 90s uh, with the uh, football team and Bobby Bowden. Okay, So apparently the Tomahawk Chops started in the 1980s at Florida State University. And basically, as the research goes, it stems from a motion that was done by the marching band while they were marching in what they called the Chief Steps style of march, which consists of a 90-degree, so a 90-degree poppy step accompanied by a swinging arm motion from their side to the center of their stomach. So apparently this motion would be kind of like a chopping motion, but it would be side to side from the side of their leg to the center of their belly, their belly button. And then their hands were were positioned in such a manner where like their fists or their fingers were kind of curled under. Okay, so it a a marching band motion of the arms while doing the steps as they were marching on the field. And so from there, legend has it that the cheerleaders, as the band oftentimes does, gets the crowd going and it's kind of like the the lead thing to get the crowds going Once you got your fight song going and you've got the uh, drums playing and the trumpets blaring and, and you get that fight song going, everybody gets crazy, right? And the cheerleaders follow in and they follow suit. And so then... As legend goes, the cheerleaders kind of mimicked this arm motion of the march, because if you watch college football, the cheerleaders just stand there on the sideline, they're not marching around. And so to kind of imitate or mimic the band and and to get involved with the, the cheering, they started to kind of mimic what this band was doing as far as their arm motions. But it became more exaggerated and more in the air so that the fans can see it. Okay. And again, you can do your own research. You can check it out if you don't think that what I'm saying is true again this is not my making it up this is me investigating checking it out doing research so as the cheerleaders began to mimic the band in order to get the fans going they raised their hands so the fans could see and copy them and would get the fans going and so by doing this this is kind of the evolution of what became the modern day tomahawk chop and there's several resources out there that you can do uh, that you can check out And so, for example, well, before I get to that, um, so I guess you could say it was derived, the genesis of this tomahawk chop have origins in the marching bands from Florida State University, their step, their marching motion with their hands and their arms, doing this chief uh, chief step style of march. And as I further dug into it, this march by the Florida State Band even have roots going back to the 1960s, okay? And so, again, it all comes from supposedly this chief marching band, the Florida State Marching Band, their poppy-step style of march with their arm motion. If you watch bands, if you watch uh, college bands especially, everybody has their their march, right? Everybody has their hand signals, like if you go to – uh USC, you've got the peace sign, which is like the fight on sign, becomes a V for victory. And then you've got like UCLA, they've got an eight clap. And then you've got the Texas Longhorns. They've got the hook'em horns where they got their pointer finger and pinky finger up, and it's the hook'em horns. And then you've got, you know, the Oregon Ducks. I guess you have to use two hands to make an O. So everybody's got their hand gestures. Everybody's got their way of doing things to celebrate their team and to cheer on their team. And so as I dug dug into it more, I found out that, you know, one – former Florida State University president, Dale, uh, Dale Lick, he reflected on the tomahawk chop in a column from the USA Today in 1993. And he basically said, some traditions we cannot control. For instance, in the early 1980s, when our band, the Marching Chiefs, began the now famous arm motion while singing the war chant, who knew that a few years later that gesture would be picked up by other teams' fans and named the tomahawk chop? It's a term we did not choose and officially do not use. So again, here in 1993, a former school president acknowledges the fact that the band was using this, but nor did, they didn't call it Tomahawk Chop. They just used this motion in their marching band's march. So again, if that's the case, then why is it, is it really racist? Is it really something negative towards a group of people? Now, we'll get into that in a little bit as far as the the meat of the conversation goes. But so Florida State is where it started. So now this president guy is not sure how it spreads out to other teams, right? Well, let's check. Let's investigate. Let's find out how a team like the Atlanta Braves adopted the tomahawk chop and the war chant. Now, another question that you have to ask yourself, I guess, which could be co- a topic of conversation for another time, is is the war chant. Is that something that is racist? Uh, is it something that is offensive? So, again, there's multiple things. And as I've always said, you have to look at things from different angles. There's not always one answer, not one size fits all. But right now, let's just focus on the, the tomahawk chop. So... How did the Atlanta Braves get involved in this chop that supposedly, from my research, origins show and have been validated that the Florida State University marching band kind of started in their band march that evolved into the modern-day Tomahawk Chop. So, apparently, according to the New York Times, in 1991, which was the year of the clip that I played, Fans adopted the Tomahawk Chop, and they called it the Braves Tomahawk Phenomenon. So it's something new. So here's why the Atlanta Braves possibly started the Tomahawk Chop. So at the time, Deion Sanders played for the Braves, and some people credit Florida State University alumni, who are Braves fans attending games, that they started mimicking Florida State University's chants and our motions, that's the tomahawk chop, when Deion Sanders was on the team. He'd come to bat and they would start doing it. And so that is one story as to how the tomahawk chop got there. Another addition of the story is that the organist started playing kind of like the song. And then the song was there first, maybe that war chant song or the tomahawk song, and then when the Florida State fans saw Dean Sanders come to the team, it started there. But again, you got roots going back to Florida State University, okay? So the Kansas City Chiefs, another team. How did they come across this Tomahawk Chop? And again, of course it does have, you know, Indian culture, Indian team names, the Chiefs, the Braves, you know, the Seminoles. So in 1990, the Chiefs, their fans started to use it. Started with the fans, not the organization. Much like the Braves, it didn't really start with the organization, start with the fans, supposedly, even though the organist might have been involved in the genesis of it through music playing, but it really seems like the fans, who are Florida State alumni, started it with Atlanta. So in nineteen ninety, after hearing the Northwest Missouri State Marching Band and seeing them perform this march that was similar to the Florida State March fans started to do the chop and they adopted the chop. Now, Kansas City's in Missouri and the band Northwest Missouri state, the band leader was a Florida state alumnus from the 1960s. So again, the Tomahawk chop has this whole thing rooted in Florida state university, the Seminoles. And so then you have, The birthplace of the tomahawk chop being possibly in the 1980s with maybe some previous versions or roots going back earlier at Florida State University from the marching band. Now, I seriously doubt the marching band started out with an offensive march, but because of their chief style march, their 90 degrees, their poppy steps, their arm motions from their side of their leg or the side of their hip with their hand to their mid-stomach and back and forth and the way their hands were, It was a march, like a march. And then the cheerleaders adopting it so that the fans can see it. It turns into the modern-day tomahawk chop. So now the question is, is that really a racist thing? We have to ask ourselves, is it really racist? Or the intent, the intentions, the purpose of doing it, is it racist? Now, the other question is, We take a look at some of the things that are going on, and we talked about the Indians. They changed their name to the Cleveland Guardians. If you don't know what a guardian is, apparently has a reference to a bridge in Cleveland and some statues on the the bridge. Like I said, the Redskins, they're still nameless. So you have an awareness, I guess, a keen awareness going on that, yes, some of these things could be offensive, some of these things could be racist, and that we need to check into it. And it's okay. Like Faye Vincent said, if there's a, a segment of the population that finds a fence with something or it bothers them, you know, we need to check into it. You can have dialogue about it. You can talk about it. You shouldn't just, again, draw dividing lines in the ground and being pro or con, tomahawk chop, and then fight over it. You'd have a dialogue about it. But today's day and age, we have to be careful. We have to be careful in those conversations and who is canceling it because we've talked about it on the show before. You do have this uh, cancel culture out there that did away with Mr. Potato Head. A completely inanimate object, even though there was a Mrs. Potato Head. So again, I still don't really see why it was offensive, but anyways. Which reminds me, real quick, tangent. It was just recently Halloween, and there were a lot of people wearing costumes. So I saw this one costume that a guy was wearing, and it was the costume was the board game Operation. Do you remember it? Now, if you don't know what Operation is, it's a game, a board, and you have the anatomy of a guy as the board and there's little holes different parts of his body with body parts you drop the body parts in these things and you have tweezers and the tweezers are connected to the board and it's kind of electrified and as you go in to try to remove let's say i guess there's the funny bone you know maybe the appendix whatever you're moving body parts you're operating you're the doctor removing these parts if you do it successfully without touching the sides Then it's success, and you move on. If you touch the sides, and that buzzes, and the dude's nose lights up red. I thought it was a pretty ingenious costume. Never seen it before. And I don't know if you ever played the game, but, you know, in the pre-technology, pre-video game world, it was kind of entertaining. You could sit there and play the game Operation. I haven't really seen it around much. But I wonder, did it get canceled? I mean, think about it. Is there any other game that's ripe for cancellation than Operation? I mean, why isn't there? I can see people claiming that we need to have a woman's version of it, you know, and maybe have like a uterus in there so that we can like have a hysterectomy and have the operation pull out, you know, the hysterectomy parts. Or maybe even if you want to even get further left, you could drop babies in there and pull them out. And now you have your abortion. And so as my mind is going in this crazed world and it's like, son, how can you come up with these ideas? Well, that's the world we live in. We're being conditioned to see these things in an effort not to be offensive towards other people and to have equality amongst all. And so that's the thing that ran through my mind. I thought, that's a genius idea. I should try to sell that off. Make some money on it. Because after all, everything comes down to money, right? If it's for the good of the people, there's money behind it, regardless of the consequences, regardless of what could happen. It's all about the money. But anyways, getting back to the uh, tomahawk chop. So if it is racist, I guess it depends on your perspective. If you're a Native American, if you're an Indian, if you're an indigenous person, if you're an activist, well, maybe it is. If you're just out there trying to rile things up, maybe it is. But if it did indeed come from the Florida State Marching Band, which it looks like it did, and again, you do the research, you go search it up, if it did, which it looks like it did, then it's probably not racist and people are just misinformed. People are jumping on the bandwagon. People aren't educating themselves to find out what's going on at the root of the issue. And you have to take these things into consideration. Just like you have to take things into consideration like how does it affect people? And I can understand people being offended by it and thinking that you've got a group of people. Okay, now here's the thing. If you're donning the headdress and the war paint, that's probably an issue. I wouldn't recommend it. I probably wouldn't partake in the tomahawk chop myself personally. But I also don't do the wave. I think that's the dumbest thing in the world. The wave. I don't do that. I don't participate in those type of things. I'll participate in some traditional things. Uh, Like at USC, I'll do the, you know, fight on. Uh, I won't do the A clap at UCLA, Um, you know. So I'll participate in some of the things that are out there. But Tomahawk Chop, I probably just wouldn't because it just doesn't interest me. But we do have to look at it from both ways. You've got fans wanting to support their team, and they found a way to do it. The war chant, the Tomahawk Chop. Other people look at it as something that shouldn't be done. So we need to address that as well. And there needs to be a dialogue, an objective dialogue to kind of talk about it. But I think it helps if you dig down into the root of it to find the history and the origin. Okay. Here's another example. The swastika. As soon as I said it, you probably went to Nazi Germany, white supremacy, KKK, something evil, something bad. And that's exactly what it represents today. But did you know that the swastika has a history of positivity prior to Nazi Germany adopting it? If you go back and you look it up, the swastika, there's a left-leaning and a right-leaning swastika. So there's one that's, there's actually two different versions of it. But one was adopted by Nazi Germany that now reflects evil. But prior to it, there were good things that the swastika represented. You had Indian religion. You had Hindu you had Buddha. You had, I think there's a couple other uh, Eastern-style uh, religions that adopt the swastika as something positive, you know, rep- representing good things, positive things. And so people would adopt the swastika. In 1920, so here's, so here's an example. Here's the point that I'm trying to get. So you had before it became evil, it was something that people recognized as good. People recognized as something spiritual, peace, Good, uh, good life, stuff like that, okay? So in the 1920s, so this is how we have to look at things and maybe try to adjust how we can kind of keep the traditions, but then maybe try to make it less offensive. And, and how can we work together? So here's an example of how one, one thing, one entity, decided to uh, solve their issue of the swastika. So my hometown, Glendale, California, in the 1920s, they erected all these... Streetlights, old-style streetlights. They're not the newfangled ones that overhang. They're just the poles, the columns with the pretty cool glass tops on it that light up. At the base of these, there were the swastikas were engraved into it. Okay, so you think about the history of where Glendale, California is in Southern California and the Spanish roots, Mexican roots. You think about the Indian religions and some of these other religions that might have adopted the swastika as a symbol of good. So the city of Glendale in the 1920s put in as an architectural design the swastika. Okay, And so the purpose and the intent in the 1920s, again, this is way before Hitler, was to wish good upon people. So then years later the swastika comes into play and becomes a sign of evil. Hatred. KKK, white supremacy, all that. So what Glendale decided to do a number of years later, I forget, I think it was either I think it was in the 90s, but years later what they decided to do was, you know what? It's probably offensive, so let's cover them up. So they went through and they they kept the polls, but they just developed a new base cover and covered up most of them in uh In the city. Now there were a couple places that were historical places that due to historical society rules and I guess laws that were put into place to preserve historical societies. Some places were still there in the place that I lived. The light post still had them. And so I thought it was pretty cool that they were able to preserve a little bit of the city's history and have it in this historical neighborhoods. But then in the other areas in the other parts of town, they were able to address the issue that concerned its citizens and they covered them up. I thought that was a good balance. Okay. now some of them, some of the city council members probably wanted to cover them all up, which I can understand. But again, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, preservation and conservation and and the laws and the rules that go around it, you have to abide by them. And, you know, that's just how it ended up. And then, of course, the issue fizzled. And I think it no longer became an issue because last I checked, some of them were still there. But that's what you got to do. You got to look at these things and you got to realize that, okay, there's going to be things that are going to be offensive to people. And if they are offensive to people, how are we going to deal with it? How are we going to sit there and say, okay, we understand what you're going through. We want to address those issues, but we also want to preserve the heritage of a school like Florida State University, their traditions. And was the intent really there to be racist? Was the intent really there to be evil? Was the intent really there to depict somebody in a negative way? And when you look at the tomahawk chop, when I Look at all the information, the so-called evidence. It doesn't look like that was the case. It just looks like it was something that started with a particular style of march that a marching band did that eventually somehow evolved into the modern-day tomahawk chop. So when people say it's racist, I don't know. Is it really? Because the intent's not there. And I don't believe the people in Atlanta during the World Series or any other times or the Chiefs even the Seminoles, their fans, when they do it, I don't think their intent is to be racist. I don't think their intent is like people that would fly the swastika flag now. Yeah, their intent now is to be racist and to have evil and hatred and make a statement against somebody, to discriminate against somebody, absolutely. But with this, I just don't see it. Now, again, we have to take concerns of those other people, like I mentioned, but I just don't see the racist part of it. I just don't see the the vulgarity part of it. Now, again, the war paint and, and the headdresses and all that, that's another story. I'm just talking about the motions of the, the tomahawk chop. I don't think it started with racism. And I think sometimes people have to realize that. Some people have to realize that, you know what, it started at a college campus through a marching band, and then it just kind of evolved from there. So, yes, it might seem like something, but, you know, what? it's probably not. And so maybe it's just a non-issue. And maybe people just have to realize that, just have to understand that and come to terms with the fact that what people do isn't always nefarious. People do things that's not always nefarious. When was the last time you got into a, a traffic accident? Did you do it on purpose? Probably not. Did you intend to mow someone down and run them into their car? Chances are probably not. That's the term accident. But yet then there's blame and everything that goes around, but your intent wasn't there. I mean, intent is a huge thing in the court of law. What was the intent behind this? So the intent behind the tomahawk chop, I don't believe, from doing the research and from comparing notes with what I found online through uh, documents at Florida State University, through newspaper articles, through academic studies that people did on it, you know, campus newspaper reports. It doesn't seem like this thing was intended for racist use it just seems like it was something that kind of evolved over the ages and was adopted by teams due to circumstances florida state you have Deion sanders playing for the braves a florida state alumni that noticed that you have an alumnus on the team so then they take the traditions from the college and they bring it to the pro team and it evolves from there other instances such as name changes could be appropriate something to look after but i think like uh Faye Vincent said in the early clip when we just started the show that anytime there's something that is affecting a a big group of people, we need to look at it. We need the conversation. But I think the conversation needs to be honest. I think the conversation has to be political free or politics free. And you have to have an understanding that you know your side just not might not be the side I don't want to say wins, but might not be the side that gets accepted. I don't know. Something to ponder. Something to think about. The other thing I wanted to talk about that has kind of hit the the mainstream is the fact that Colin Kaepernick has come out. And uh, I guess he's now doing documentaries or something like that on Netflix. And I guess the big thing is, is that he's comparing the NFL Combine to slavery. Now, if you don't know what the NFL Combine is, basically all the people that want to be drafted in the NFL go to this basically tryout slash workout. And everything, everything, every aspect of the athlete is measured from speed to strength to their size, even their intellect, their athletic ability. I mean, they time how fast they can run, how much they can lift, how far the quarterback can throw the ball, all that stuff. I mean, every little thing is measured because potentially teams are going to be investing millions of dollars into this player, and they want to make sure that if they're going to draft this player and choose them to be on their team and the player accepts that offer, then you're making a good investment. Oftentimes, you see, in fact, if you follow college baseball, there was a uh, Kumar Rocker of the Vanderbilt Commodores was a phenomenal pitcher for Vanderbilt, and they expected him to go high in the most recent Major League Baseball draft, top 10. And he, in fact, he did. He got drafted by the New York Mets in the top 10. But then the Mets decided that, because I guess Rocker didn't go to any of these pre-draft workouts for baseball. It's a little different than than the football NFL. But he didn't do any pre-draft workouts. His agent kind of kept him out of the limelight from those pre-draft workouts. Well, when the Mets drafted him, now they were able to go in and kind of look at him and kind of run him through the tests and the rigors to make sure his health was good, his arm strength was there. He saw the velocity and things like that to pitch. And it turned out they decided that there were some deficiencies and they did not offer him a contract. okay? So again, when teams are investing millions of dollars into somebody, just like you would any other business if you're investing into something. If you're a radio station and you're investing into some automation software, you want to make sure it's what is for you. If you're going to work for a company, you have automation systems for your, factoring, uh, your manufacturing factory. You want to make sure those things are operating the best and fit your needs the most. So anytime you invest in something, you're going to check it out. So NFL players, they've got a combine. Well, apparently to Colin Kaepernick, The NFL Combine is compared to slavery. And so this is a little clip that's circling around, uh, I guess, the Internet as to why or what he says about this whole thing.
0: What they don't want you to understand is what's being established is a power dynamic. Before they put you on the field,
2: teams poke pride and examine you, searching for any defect that might affect your performance. No boundary respected. No dignity left intact. Come on, boy, hurry up. Look at that shape
0: there. Look at this. Mr. Farmer. I got your beard. Dirty, dang it. Coming up, that's the one we got.
1: heard the dialogue from colin kaepernick then from there the video goes from the football players being on the football field to walking off and then they enter a graphic where they're now on a slave auction block with chains and stuff and they're being sold off into slavery well i think most people because again i did a lot of reading on it i didn't watch don't care to watch for it uh the documentary but i did a lot of reading on a lot of uh responses to what he had to say and it's interesting because the thing that i got from it is that all athletes okay he's focusing on the black athlete but all athletes go through the nfl combine now there might be a time like in baseball where kumar rocker's agent kept him out from the major league baseball draft workouts but most people have to go through those regardless of skin color So why is it slavery? Why is he just focusing on the black athlete? So I think his point is off a little bit. The other thing, too, is that these athletes are about to make millions of dollars. They're about to get endorsement deals for possibly millions more. Fans are going to go to the fan shop and spend hundreds of dollars on their jerseys and wear the names of these players on their backs. Athletes do get special treatment. We know that. But most importantly, it's a choice. These football players have a choice as to whether or not they want to go through the combine process. They have a choice as to whether or not they want to sign with a team that offers them a contract. They have a choice as to whether or not they want to play football or go do something else. See, they have a choice. I don't think Slaves had a choice. So I think he misses the mark there. And so what is it that he's trying to to get at? I mean, I think about, you know, Carl Nassib, plays for the Raiders. I guess he's the first openly gay football player. So is the Combine anti-LGBT? See, where do you draw the line with all this that's going on? Because you can't just make an accusation in one small sector of the league and claim something... Unless, of course, you're just trying to make headlines and stay relevant. But you can't be honest with yourself and say that the NFL combine is like slavery because black athletes have to go through the rigors of the combine just in case they get drafted and are paid millions of dollars by somebody who's investing their money into this player. Okay? And so, is it really something that should be even talked about? Is it something that is even. I mean, what was the what would the NFL have to say about this? You know, Colin Kaepernick had basically two good seasons in the NFL, and then he started to uh, slack off, and then he got benched. I think it was Blaine Gabbert that took over for him in San Francisco, and that's when his activism began. And so uh, his benching was called racist, and like I said, he started to act, uh, his activism by um, taking a knee and all that. Then most recently I read, and I didn't realize this, but I read that uh, – At one point in time, uh, John Elway, who runs the Denver Broncos, makes the player decisions as to who's going to play for the Broncos, offered him or tried to trade for him or wanted him to play on the Broncos, but Kaepernick turned it down. Didn't want to play for the Broncos. Okay, People you read that were close to Kaepernick say that his mind started to go and move away from football and wanted to do other things, but he needed football as the platform. And so thus, he uses the NFL as a platform for his activism. The other thing that is kind of something that strikes a chord with a lot of people is the fact that uh, Kaepernick, and I think it was Jay-Z was even behind it, set up a tryout, the NFL, and all the players, uh, scouts and stuff coming to this thing, set up a tryout last couple years for Kaepernick to showcase his athletic ability. So then what Kaepernick does, he decides to be a no-show and goes someplace else and creates his own workout for people to watch him play to see if he can get back in the NFL. Of course, nobody shows up because they're at the other place, and he calls it racist. The NFL's blackballing them. Well, again, when you're dealing with billionaires, and they are billionaires, these owners, got a lot of money, and they got their money because of their business-like abilities, They're not going to tolerate stuff like that. They're investing because like anything else in this country, if you're putting your money into something, you want to get more money out of it later. Unless of course you're working in a charitable organization. And even then I'd question the, how charitable is that organization? But there's some good things out there. But again, everything's about money about making money. And so Colin Kaepernick could be trying to make money off of racism, activism. Now, Des Bryant, I want to play a clip from Des Bryant, NFL wide receiver. And he actually calls out Kaepernick and talks about the real failure of Colin Kaepernick. And keep in mind, Des Bryant is a black athlete. So here's a black guy calling out another black guy and showcasing or focusing on his uh, Kaepernick's failures.
0: I want to mention this too. Right, I respect Colin Kaepernick but it's one thing that I don't respect and I said it when I get the opportunity and to get on the stage you said I would say it and I love him to death so it ain't no hate or nothing like that but brother you had the biggest opportunity in the world to create jobs build jobs give jobs to people the people that you was talking about the people that that you so-called standing up for the people who stood beside you, the people who lost their jobs because of you. Where you at? I ain't heard from you. I reached out to you. Where you at? Mm. Really? Always and gonna stay that way. Mm. He brought the awareness and that's why I respect him. But what's the call to action? It wasn't one. There wasn't no call to action. It's, it's just like I see all these athletes. I hear them on Twitter. They be fighting writing these cool ass captions, I be like, hey, the NFL told you to to put out a Black Lives Matter tweet, and you did it. But I ain't see you do it. That's a difference. You get what I'm saying? So, when I communicate with you, you know, whenever it's not the trending thing, because I'm for real about it, you don't say nothing to me as a problem.
1: Des Bryant makes a huge point right there. There was no call to action. And that's the significance in having a cause and talking about it versus having a cause and doing something about it. It's easy we've learned over the last year and a half to become a keyboard social justice warrior and sit there and pound the keys on Twitter and other social media outlets and express your rage and what needs to be done from behind a keyboard, but to get out there and do something about it, something constructive, something that brings about change, good change. So in this case, if you think the NFL is something that represents slavery, well, you're going to do a documentary about it and just kind of make it so that everybody then is riled up about it, that you enrage the NFL and the owners And the commissioner's office? Of course, they're going to play PC, but you know, behind the scenes, they're going to be enraged by it. Wouldn't you? If you were called a slave owner, what you do as a slave owner? So yeah, instead of just doing things like documentaries and writing books and talking about it, maybe he should have had a call to action like Des Bryant said. If you have a cause, maybe you need a call to action. What are you going to do to affect change? What are you going to do to try to raise awareness in the community and get people to buy into it, to do something, to take action. And that's hard to do. It's easy to sit back. It's lazy activism without a call to action. And sometimes you need to put in the little effort, the extra effort to get things going, whether it's homelessness, whether it's women's rights, whether it's abortion rights, whether it's LGBT rights, whatever it is. But see, you also, what's your call to action? Is it a productive call to action? Or is it something that's just you know out there causing more chaos? Is there something that's out there that's creating positive change in people or trying to change the minds of people that don't understand your point of view or are you just out there inflaming them? It makes a difference. See, it's one thing to recognize that there's a problem. It's one thing to understand what that problem is. But then if you want people to change, how are you going to affect that change? I mean, look at what Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, Gandhi even. Not perfect people, but they affected positive change through means that resonated with the other side, that resonated with a lot of people. And those people then bought into it and change was affected. If you're going to be flamboyant and you're going to be offensive in wanting to have change, it's not going to happen. Let's take a look at the riots from 2020. Anything change? No, nothing changed. There was a call to action, take the streets, burn things down, protest in the name of. But change didn't happen. Nothing's changed in the last year or so from that because the course of change, well, one, the, the, the call to action stopped. Now, it's not on the uh, the press. It's not half the presses anymore. It's not on the mainstream media, so nobody cares about it anymore until it hits the mainstream media again. But if you truly believed, if you marched, what are you doing now? What are you doing now to affect that same change, or have you given up and moved on to something else? If you've given up to move on to something else, then, yeah, well, there wasn't a cause for you, was it? It's probably just a way for you to get out there and be seen. A couple of responses Burgess Owens, former NFL player. How dare Kaepernick compare the evil endured by so many of our ancestors to a bunch of millionaires who chose to play the game? Or how about Clay Travis? Colin Kaepernick compares the NFL Combine, which allows all players of all races a voluntary chance to become multimillionaires to slavery. Did you know that in 2021, the league minimum, which means this is the bare minimum that an NFL player could make, is 660000 Not too shabby for being on a football team and enjoying the luxuries of being on a football team. You're making over half a million dollars, and apparently there are... 41 players. How many? 56 players roughly on a team. What, 30, 32 teams? You do the math, and only 41 are making the, the bare minimum. That was a lot of players making a lot of money. Would you go through a combine style tryout voluntarily? If you had the option or the opportunity to make millions, I think we would. I mean, how many of you have to go through a drug screening? How many of you have to go through a health screening? just to get a job that pays an hourly wage. It's the same thing. People compare vaccinations, polio and measles and stuff like that, to the current one, and Sarah says the same thing. Well, this combine is no different than other things we have to do for pre-employment screenings. The only difference is, is the people that are paying, the NFL players are ones that stand to lose millions of dollars and the ones going through it stand to make millions of dollars plus endorsements plus fame plus putting your name out there plus a coddled lifestyle. So what do we go from here? Again, everything has become a political agenda, political ideology. We have to remove that. We have to take that out because if we take that out, then we can look at things. little different. Did you check out the origins of the Tomahawk Chop before he chose a side? Do we need to look at how a business such as the NFL does something? The other thing that Des Bryant mentioned in there, he mentioned, did you catch it, that the NFL told you to put out a tweet for Black Lives Matter. So how many of these athletes, like he said, how many of these athletes actually really cared? Maybe you saw stuff on social media from them. But did the NFL tell them to do that? And if so, does that taint the message, being forced to do something? So that's something that we have to to consider. You have to consider all sizes, or all sides, along with the sizes, but you have to consider all sides to what the story has to say, what the narrative is all about. Because if you're only looking at one side, you're going to be missing the boat. You're going to be not seeing the full picture. You know, we're talking about the mirror on the wall. We look in the mirror, that magic mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And we want to respond to us. But the information that we're getting from that mirror, is it the correct information? Is it true information? Is it truthful? Or has it been fogged over, steamed over by someone else's breath of lies, someone else's breath of conspiracy towards you? And so then when you look in the mirror, you see all these things, and you don't have a true sense of the reflection that you see. And that's what we need to do. We need to look at things in a fashion where do we really get the the true sense for what we're looking at, the true sense for what it is that we are going to be doing. Because, you know, a call to action has a significant or is a significant part has it has significant consequences and it should be a significant part of whatever it is that you want to do what your activism is about
2: you have some good ideas do you but you can't execute you you want to know what those ideas are worth When you don't execute on them, they're worth nothing. Ideas by themselves have zero value unless they can be brought to life. You actually make things happen, but don't let these ideas just wander aimlessly around in your head. Get them out. Bring them to life, put them into the world, run with them, get some friends and family or partners, someone to help you. Don't let that idea die inside your head. No more waiting, no more putting it off or waiting for the right time or the right people or the right alignment of things in the world. No more of that, no more excuses, just execution. See, if you
1: have an idea and you don't bring it out, it's just going to die. Ideas equals zero. Unless you put them into play. Now, you might have an idea, and you might put that idea out there, and the idea goes nowhere. But at least you put it out there and gave it a chance. You put an idea out there, and maybe it takes off. So if you really were for social justice reform, Did you put put an idea out there? Or was your idea just to go march with everybody else? If your idea is that the NFL needs to treat its players differently, did you put an idea out there as how that could be changed? Or are you just fanning the flames? Oh, my idea is to do a documentary that's going to piss everybody off. Because you know people in the NFL are. Because they gave Kaepernick his millions of dollars. Kaepernick went through that. Don't forget, he made millions of dollars. He's made millions of dollars from Nike, and it's rumored, alleged, that Nike uses the Uyghur people of China and the Chinese enslave the Uyghur people. So think about that. He's talking about the NFL. Colin Kaepernick is talking about the NFL and the Combine and referring it to slavery or comparing it to slavery. Yet Nike does business and manufacturing in China. China enslaves people like the Uyghur people. And these factories produce Nike product. And Kaepernick is endorsed by Nike. Hmm. Does he really care about the cause of slavery? Or is he out there just trying to make a name for himself? So that's something that we have to look at. And it's a hard discussion for some people to have because they just want to defend Kaepernick, say, oh, he's right, because it serves a political agenda. Got to take it out, just like the tomahawk chop. People want to say it's racist because it serves a political agenda. But the origins don't seem to be racist. The origins seem to be pretty innocent, in fact. A marching band, the movements of their hands and arms during the march. Then the cheerleaders pick up on it. Then the fans pick up on it. Then the nation picks up on it. Sounds like some innocent origins for something that's so controversial. A guy comparing the NFL, billionaires and millionaires doing business, something that he was a part of, something that he benefited from, something that he made his millions from, got his contract, went to the Super Bowl, got endorsements from Nike, Nike's business practices overseas, their ethics practice overseas with China, their relationships called under for scrutiny because of the Uyghur people and others that are being taken advantage of and enslaved to produce for the Chinese government so they can reap the windfalls. So basically the Chinese people enslaved by the government, but yet Kaepernick is calling out slavery. See the hypocrisy there? That's hard for people to understand because they want to defend Kaepernick. They want to believe in a cause, but this might not be, this might not be the the area. This might not be the call to action to back. You might need to consider another one that's more honest and forthright with what they want to have done. This is Two Steps Ed Podcast, encouraging you, my friend, to take your passion, make it happen, and let yourself be great. Sometimes we have to talk about the hard issues. Sometimes we have to talk about issues that make us uncomfortable. Sometimes you have to do the research yourself. If you disagree with anything I have to say, feel free to send me some information. Not just the CNN headlines or the Fox News headlines. I don't need that. I don't need the mainstream media headlines. I want you to dig deep like I do and find me some information. Two, three, four sources so that I can see exactly what it is that you're talking about because I'm open. I'm open to learn from you if you are someone in possession of some knowledge that might be different from what I'm representing on the show. Again, I, I don't just sit here and fly off my own ideas. My ideas are based in what I find in research. It's kind of like a science project. You have a hypothesis, you do the research or the experiment, and then you have your conclusion. And that's how I go about performing the show. I come up with an idea, which oftentimes isn't the idea or the topic. By the time I get done with the show prep, get to the show, but I do research. I don't just sit there and just take whatever I hear on Twitter or mainstream media or whatever is out there, TikTok, and run with it. I dig deeper because so I want to know deeper what these issues are about, and I encourage you to do the same. Hey, you can find us on Instagram at TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. My personal page, Edem Rocks, E-I-D-E-M. R O C K S. There's a link tree link in the bios of both that will take you to many places of which is radiowarp.com. That's radio W A R P radiowarp.com. You can uh, listen to the podcast on radio com. Also, um, we have a live streaming station radio station on radiowarp.com. It plays the podcast. It plays other podcasts. Plus it also has, uh, eighties music, only top hits from the 1980s and modern, like new releases for pop music make their, uh, Presence known there as well. So it's a really good uh, place to listen to entertainment, something a little different if you're looking for something different. You can also download the app, the phone app, Radio Warp app, Radio W-A-R-P, Radio Warp app, A-P-P, from your app store. Download it and take us with you on the go. But uh, RadioWarp.com, everything you need to know about Two Steps Head podcast. We also have a YouTube page and a SoundCloud page that's linked there, so you can click on it, subscribe, and never miss an episode. Hey, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Uh, We thank you for your uh, listenership. You can also, like I said, your viewership, depending on where you happen to catch the show. Uh, We'd really appreciate it if you could tell a friend, let others know about it, if you like it, if you benefit from it, or if you just want to be kind. Be kind and help us out. Tell a friend. But again, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend, take your passion, make it happen. Let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. This is Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great, and we'll see you next time.